Today, we bask in the light of Mustachio Greatness. I think the best part of starting this podcast is the fact that I've met so many people, so many friends along the way, that know way more about movies than me. For this episode, we are honoring a solid gold mine of dope mustaches in 1965's Murder Unincorporated, starring the chipmunk-faced Joe Shishido. Looks like he got stung by 50 bees, but you know what? He still looks cool as shit. We get it all in this damn movie. Slapstick, fight scenes, car chases, and a part where two assassins shoot a TV to change the channel. I'm not sure what kind of bit that is, but you know it's freaking funny, people. It works. Anyway, let's grab our favorite poetry book, recite poems from it, hide a BB gun because we ain't trying to actually shoot fools right now, and walk up to that neighbor we can't stand and shoot him in the shin because that really stings. Now play that shit theme song. It's the Mustachio Podcast, you, we're ready for the show. We'll watch moves, we'll make jokes, and then we'll all go home. Navigating the legendary hairy upper lips, it's the Mustachio Podcast, you. What is up? This is your host of the Mustachioed Podcastio, Daniel Segura. And today we welcome back the co-host of Shoot the Piano Player, a French New Wave podcast. It's the homie Spencer. How's it going, bro? I'm good. Uh, how are you, Danny? Danny. I'm doing pretty you? good, man. You know, I'm hanging not... in there. Been doing a lot of recording and way too much editing. But... <laughs> <laughs> doing pretty good. That. How about on your end? Good. I'll never call you Danny again. That felt wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I I normally won't. I I'll respond to it, <laughs> <laughs> but it's rare that anyone calls me that. <laughs> oh God! I have some friends that call me DJ or Deej because my middle name is James. Ah, so so you're yeah, DJ C- So you're DJ Segura. I was supposed to be. Yeah, my parents originally named me Daniel James, so that way they could call me DJ, but it didn't really stick. But I do have friends that oh. will call me DJ. So yeah, I hope yeah. you. I hope I didn't offend you with the uh, non-Spanish pronunciation of your name. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, so first things first, man. What made you want to pick Murder? I'd never heard of this movie, Murder mm-hmm. Unincorporated, nineteen sixty-five. Uh, maybe maybe cut this part out. But uh, I mentioned to Mike a while ago on a grind bin. Uh, maybe cover this, and he's been kind of oh. wishy-washy on it. But uh, I want an excuse to talk about it because I love the star Joe Shishido. Uh, he, I love those puffy cheeks. I love the cool persona. <laughs> uh, and it's just like it, it's like a fun, um, silly Yakuza comedy that feels like an episode of Adam West Batman. It yeah, it does. <laughs> it totally does. I love the puffy cheeks. Um, I don't know how much it helped his career, but apparently, I mean, just reading a little bit, it seemed to help. Shishido's career quite a bit just from getting those cheek implants, but which I would imagine is kind of a risky procedure for 1957. I think he, that's when he got it done. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, 
damn, I don't want anyone cut, cutting open my skin in 19... I don't even want someone doing that now, much <laughs> less... Like, that's some balls. Just because he felt... I guess he felt like he wanted a different kind of face so he could get different parts? Yeah, so he can look like a tough guy, which I guess looked like he'd been in a fight, so he could play, like, a, a tough guy role, maybe? Yeah, yeah. It, he kind of looks more like he's having a severe allergic reaction to something. <laughs> But yeah. at the same time, he sports it well. I mean, he always kind of looks a little like, um, yeah, that kind of swollen face. It makes his lips look different. His eyes, like his whole face is changed because of just the, those implants. And it makes him a whole different kind of character. So I guess it do, did work out. But uh, apparently he was getting more like sappy uh, leads like for dramatic film or something like that from, from, what, I, from what I read because he was more conventionally attractive. Yeah. Uh, so he's like, you know what? I'm going to Mickey Rourke myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Except he's a, he's a nicer person than what was. He died last year. He's a nicer person than Mickey Rourke. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, he died at, um, really recently, but uh, seemed to have a really long career. I'd never seen a movie with him. So, And I think I had been talking to Mike about this movie and he's like yeah you know i heard about that from spencer i heard about that actor from spencer i was like yeah he's the one that's gonna be <laughs> <laughs> so you're out here just trying to trying to share the shishito story man just trying to yeah. get people to check out his movies <clears throat> yeah joe is the best uh he had a, a crazy career started with like like kind of romantic roles support roles and he was a tough guy and then in the 70s, it kind of was a free-for-all because he worked in TV. He had, like, a cooking show. He had he had cookbooks. And uh, he kind of always figured out a way to stay in a, in a film uh, film world, but in different capacities. And then, yeah, he did it up until about 10 years ago when his uh, wife died. And then he just kind of just settled down and was like, well, I'm just going to enjoy retirement now. Uh, finally, uh, <laughs> I, think I would have done it a little bit sooner, but I think it's tough. I think it's like, I think it's like anything else. If, if when it's like when once you stop working, that's when you get a little bit closer to the end. So I think a lot of people try to work until the very bitter end, uh, and because then it's like, what are you doing? You're just hanging out. <laughs> yeah, you know. So yeah, I was very interested uh when you told me about this movie and when i looked it up and i saw that it was kind of a comedy you know <laughs> crime type movie with i don't know it's like kind of reminds me of one of those like i guess you could say like naked gun or something where it's like it's slapsticky hmm. and it breaks the fourth wall sometimes um doesn't take itself too seriously but there's definitely some you know there's definitely some some action and there's risks that people could die. So it's not like people aren't going to die in the movie and you're really not sure who's going to live and who's going to die. So I, I quite enjoyed it myself. I'll say, mm -hmm. I'll let the listeners out there know I don't do this too often, but mm -hmm. you should probably, if, if you haven't seen this movie, you should probably check it out uh, when you have a chance, even if you listen through this whole episode, check out this movie at some point because it is worth checking out. I really liked I like the fact that it opens up right away with the guy threatening you to uh, to <laughs> yeah. laugh at it or else he'll kill you. <laughs> that was hilarious. I think that was the actor uh, that plays one of the characters, uh, like uh, the, one uh, of the the guy that does the abacus. 
Oh yeah, yeah, it was him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The um, I put in my notes Eddie Deason for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does give off that energy. He really does. But yes, so many good. I'm figuring a lot of these actors were pretty prolific, are pretty well known. Obviously, I'm not as familiar, mm-hmm. but it, you could tell that these were. This was a pretty solid cast. Everybody does a pretty damn good job. Yeah, it's like the, there are a lot of there are a lot of movies like this around this time. Cause in the '60s, the Yakuza movies were lighter and goofier, and then by the time you get to the '70s, they're uh, more realistic and I don't I don't say gritty, but like like they are like grittier and, and meaner, and they're like ripped from the headlines. Kind of like the Italian police movies uh, was uh-huh. happening in Japan, but uh, but they had a whole decade of like silly, goofy uh, nonsense. That I like both. It just depends on my mood, which I feel like if I want to feel uh, oppressed and overwhelmed and and stressed, then I'll watch like a seventies Akuza movie. But if I want to just have a fun have a fun time, then I'll put on like uh, Joshua Shido the Akuza movie. Yeah. Yeah, you get. I mean, yeah, it's it's you get the you get the whole yakuza feel, but you also get some of the, I don't know, the you get the bit of the comedy. It's nothing's too crazy. Um, it's all also has some twists and turns here and there. Nothing that's like gonna blow the blow your socks off. I mean, a lot of it is pretty predictable, but I think it's meant to be somewhat like that because they know that you're watching it not because of the mystery of it all you're watching it because it's a fun ride you know you're just kind of going on going on for the ride but i quite enjoy you could tell um you could see a lot of like the like this movie you could see how it inspired a lot of other comedy movies that have to do Mm -hmm. with like crime syndicates and stuff like that uh asian movies that have to do with that kind of subject that have a good time with it and are funny so it was really cool to be able to see. I've seen some of those movies that have come mm-hmm. out more recently, but I've never seen a movie like this from 1965. So it just completely made it a pretty dope experience for me personally. Um, and for those, oh, those of y'all, for the listeners that don't know what this is about, um, you want to give us a little brief synopsis of of uh, what this movie is all about, man. Uh, I always forget like the. Like the plot, I barely remember. I just remember like the crazy characters most of the time. <laughs> yeah, the the plot is basically <laughs> one uh one mob in this town called Kill Kill Town, I think. Uh, is like that. yeah, they they are very powerful. They pretty much run ninety five percent of the of the of the town or the city. Then there's a rival mob gang or yakuza that is neighboring them. And they are basically trying to get power over them, and the story sort of unfolds from there. And we don't know who's, we don't know who's working for who, who's doing the killing. But basically, the guys that are running Kill Town are slowly getting killed off, and we don't know how it's happening or who's doing it. So it's basically, it's basically one of those rival gang stories, and it goes back and forth. And they hire all these assassins, like <laughs> assassins that are basically like bad. Mortal Kombat clone characters, uh, oh, which yeah. makes it so funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, before I get into the movie proper, uh, I want I want to go over um, kind of like wh- where these movies come from because I think I feel like some people will like will watch us and like not, uh, not 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 uh, they won't get it, but more it's like I think context helps understand like 
what these movies are, which is they're just they're just like super cheap B movies that they made that Nikatsu made about eighty a year at at this time. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, we only a select few are available uh, in America. Is and so there's like literally hundreds more that have never been uh, brought overseas, and so like this was just a disposable, like uh, like you throw it on for like for the kids at the movie theater type type experience, and they're just like ripping off American movies, and it but it's like ripping off American movies, but they don't fully understand how American movies work, so it's like this interesting mix of like Hollywood and Japanese culture. Uh, during the like post occupation, but the Americans are still there, so there's so it feels very like it, it feels like it feels very Western without it being about like Americans. Yeah, even like some of the soundtrack, like some of the music they use, sounds like music you would have heard in some American films, and so you could definitely tell that. And also the fact that they also pay some homage to some British. As we see, British, <laughs> yeah. British uh, film. So yes, you can definitely tell that they have been influenced, quote unquote. But they're kind of putting their own spin on it because, like you said, they don't quite know exactly how it works here at that point. But they're doing their own thing, and honestly, balancing out so many characters. I think that's what's kind of amazing about this movie that I think some people might also overlook is that there's so many characters for a movie that's not that long and you actually kind of get a little bit of um, development for most of them at least a little bit you know you kind of get to know uh, especially the assassins and how they work and their personalities that's not easy to do I mean 2016 Suicide Squad just did a horrible job of that like and they <laughs> and didn't even have as many characters and it's probably at least 45 minutes longer yeah exactly <laughs> So it's kind of crazy how a movie from 1965 and they're just kind of they're spitting these out, like you said, just like clockwork. And they're able to write something where you can get a feel for the characters much easier. So I have some mad respect for that, for sure. Yeah, it's this it's a studio system thing of like the studio head or whatever is like, well, you're going to make a Yakuza comedy with this screenwriter. And uh, at this time they were they were given 25 days to shoot a movie Man. which was yeah and so like some of them some of like the worst ones you can tell but the good ones are like how did they film this in 25 days <laughs> <laughs> yeah i the amount of cocaine i would need to be able to push through that <laughs> yeah it's it's a little too much <laughs> yeah i mean I'm, but that's a that's the advantage of a studio system. It's just like you're uh you're you know you're a factory worker. You're told what to do, and you crank out movie movie after movie, and eventually you get good at it. So you're shorthand. Where like, which there there's downside to it, obviously, but there's still uh, uh it it's not perfect. But like I kind of wish we had that in, in Hollywood now, a more a stricter studio system of this like regularly cranking out movies. So like, uh, I feel like there's not enough, and like there's too much time, and it's like it's better when it's just sometimes better if like an action movie, just like I don't know, crank out like a fun, quick action movie. I don't, right. I don't need like three three years between sequels. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, would you say there was there was a time where it was more cranking out movies? I feel like 
eighties, you know, around that time, like eighties, early nineties, it felt like they were being able to crank out movies a lot faster than the, than they are doing now. And also, no one's making as many budget movies or like throwaway action movies as much. I guess maybe because they go straight to streaming and we don't hear about them, but they're not definitely not hitting theaters anymore. Yeah, because you have the Scott Atkins and like Michael Jai White stuff, which is largely good. Some of, like some of it doesn't really hit. But the one it hits, it's fucking great. Like, yeah. um, triple, is it called Triple Threat? It's the one where Michael, uh, spoiler alert, it's the one where Michael Jai White, it turns out, is a villain. It's a recent one. I can't remember what it's called. There is a Triple Threat from 2019. I'm uh, not sure if that's the one. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a two similar movies called, like, Triple Something around that time. It's just start. It's like it's like that weird hive mind type. <laughs> All of a sudden, it's yeah. like, yeah, I want to name my movie with triple. But, but yeah, yeah, man, I just don't get why it's not. You know, it's not like that anymore. But you're right. I feel like the amount of time that they're given, the budgets that they're given, I think it ends up. You end up getting a pretty sliced and diced product than if they were just going by the seat of their pants and and really just using their passion and talents to get something done a little bit sooner maybe not 25 days but um you know a little more than that but i still think you would we would be able to get so many more movies out and a lot of times better movies than if they were trying to take their time and be and trying way too hard i feel like people try way too hard in the modern day (laughs) yeah with uh, like I think with horror, take time for special effects, but like with action, I think you can, uh, if, if the people are talented enough, it doesn't matter how long it takes in the long run. Totally, man. I completely but, uh, agree. Yeah. But, um, uh, if people who do, know, who do know Joe Shishido would probably know him from the movie that ended his career at Nikatsu, uh, Branded to Kill. It's a movie where um, this is a part of the movie, and it's why I shared it on Twitter. He has to smell boiling, boiling rice to get hard. It's never said in the movie, but it's heavily hinted at. Did you say he has to boil rice to get hard? Yeah, and he has to smell boiling rice to get hard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who needs blue chew when you got boiling rice? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And apparently, oh, yeah. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, and apparently a, a rice cooker company uh, wanted uh, wanted product placement, and so they're like, "Okay, well, we're we're gonna make it so he can only get a boner if he smells rice was cooking from your from your rice cooker." <laughs> Dude, if I ever make a movie, I'm gonna do that, but with beans. <laughs> <laughs> Might be a little too on the nose, but I don't care. It'll be funny. But <laughs> I would like I'll be calling all these different bean companies, Rosita's <laughs> like, hey, do you want your product there? But that is so fucking crazy. So he that he was done with that production company after that. After that, uh, there's a long story about uh, with it that I, I that is not worth getting into with this episode. <laughs> that'll that'll take a whole episode to really break down <laughs> that whole story. But uh, he worked with this one director, Seiju and Suzuki. Like three or four, like maybe five or six times, and the most famous Suzuki movies are the Joshishido ones, 
kind of for a reason. They're the most accessible and the most notable of that of the first part of Suzuki's career. And um That's amazing. Uh, yeah. That's amazing. Oh my god. Um and as y'all know, we are honoring multiple mustaches throughout this this movie. We're we're just gonna be kinda there's various mustaches. The there's a couple of crime bosses that we'll point out that have some good mustaches. So, we'll we'll hit up on those too. And there's also a, a kind of a questionable one that, that I didn't quite expect to see. And I'll, I'll we'll point that out when we get there. Um, but if you're if you're ready to break, start breaking into this movie, I'll, I'll be ready to go. Okay. All and, right. Uh, oh, I'm not sure if you looked up, looked into this, but Joe's um, younger brother is in this movie. He's the rival uh, gang guy in the sunglasses who just kind of hangs out the whole time. Oh, the other good-looking guy. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's the other one that just has, like, mad sex appeal that just walks around and just, like, wearing the dopest suits in the whole movie. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that's his younger brother? I uh, Yes, his younger wow. brother. He Damn. died... In the early '90s, he didn't have as big a film career. He kind of left showbiz, and he married a pop star, and uh, I think he was her manager or something. But uh, uh, yeah, classic. And Joe, yeah, and Joe's son is an actor. No, no cheek implants. He didn't go that far. <laughs> he got butt but implants. He, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he could have. I never see him anything, but uh, he does like. Uh, he's on a couple like live action anime adaptations and does TV and he can he, he's, he's like a character actor pretty much but mm. he he definitely got like the family the family's looks that does help <laughs> it does help that's cool though that you know the family you know at least he's got some family still in it to kind of continue his legacy you got you have to have somebody that's willing to he was such a big name he, yeah you know, like screw it, I would I would want to get into it too, and at least put my toe in the water. I I don't know, I would be interested in that. Yeah, but like he, he like he legit was a huge star. Like he looks silly to, uh, at first glance, but like when you start when but like one he's super cool and awesome, but also he was like 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 I won't say a sex symbol, but he was definitely seen like with the cheeks like as like a, as a like a handsome like movie star, which is something I can't fully fathom. Because those cheeks are just like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like I'll start getting used to them. If, like I'll start getting used to seeing them where I'm like, I, my, my brain accepts his face. But then he'll do something in the movie and I'm like, did they get bigger? I was like, did he, <laughs> did he pump them up a little extra? Does he have like a little button? It's like the old pumps back in the day. I'm like, damn, like what the fuck happened? So it depends on the angle, but there's some angles you're like, holy shit, your cheeks are like, how can you even like <laughs> f- smile? Like, but he does ch- kind of smile, but it's like very like, it looks like it's a strain. It's just crazy. Y'all have to look it up to believe it. You have to look up this son of a bitch because it is amazing. Um, but yeah, so we'll we'll break down this movie. And like I said, it opens up with uh, <laughs> with one of the characters saying, "If you don't laugh at this movie, I'm gonna fucking kill you." A <laughs> uh, bunch of gunshots are directed to the screen. And then after uh, the the op- little opening, uh, we are in a classroom and we're getting our quick lesson on 
Japan's geography. We we hear about Tokyo, um, Naruto, and some other places. <laughs> some pretty yeah. sad places. <laughs> and, and get a refresher of like, and we just had the Olympics too. When I didn't plan it out to have it like to talk about this right after the Olympics in Tokyo, uh-huh, this yeah. sort of happened. That's cr- I know that's crazy because they do mention like, oh yeah, this is where Tokyo is where we have the Olympics, and now we, we just had it. It's insane. Uh, and they they do talk about the burned down city of Motomachi Oshima, uh, which is depressing as shit. It's like, oh, here's a burned down city. It's just, oh god, it's depressing <laughs> as shit. Um, and we eventually, I guess, learn about this fic- fictional killer town, <laughs> which I, I I don't know if that translated weird. They couldn't think of a better name for it, but killer town it is. Fuck it, let's move to killer town, family. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like Japanese is a weird language to translate to English because you get stuff like um, this one Joshua Shida movie um, that the this the little their literal trans- translation is a translation is a title in English, which is Detective Bureau Two Three Go to Hell Bastards. <laughs> which in America they never bothered changing it. <laughs> it's like that's how like Japanese tiles kind of work. It work in like the it, yeah, like uh, you kind of have to change them in English sometimes because like grammatically it's it's absurd. <laughs> it is. It, it and there there are some translate like some some of the translations of the movie are kind of I kind of had to like rewind and just read it one more time. Wait, what did they say? But for the most part, not a bad. Not a bad translation of the movie. You get you get the gist of what they're trying to tell each other, uh, and we we do we are welcomed into Killer Town, and we see um, Mister Yoyogi, Yoyogi. I might be saying that wrong, yeah. Yoyogi, and he's killed while he's holding this ace card, which I think he had just received. Maybe it seemed like, and uh, the guy that kills him tears the card in half and leaves it with his body, and then we're in this huge um, nice dope ass meeting room which is by by the way why I love these 1960s mm-hmm. movies I love the style I love the colors the greens and the all the wood grain I'm all about wood grain baby like mm-hmm. I would love I I used to live in the I rented I used to rent in this pretty uh, nice neighborhood in San Antonio for about a year where there's most of the homes are from the 40s 50s and 60s and this mm-hmm. particular house was from 1958 and it had an entire room with like real wood paneling like thick uh, I forget the kind of wood it was but the realtor had told us about it and it was just gorgeous man you could just imagine that being a place where you would smoke a cigar in your robe by the fire <laughs> getting a blowjob yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably that too probably. <laughs> oh, damn it man I was trying to be cool about it but I had to work that in but anyway <laughs> it was a nice room so <laughs> So they're having this big old meeting with all the the, I guess the basically the leaders of this gang at the gang headquarters, and we meet yeah. all of them. Like we, they introduce all, all of them. It's Igawa, he holds all the rights to Port Town, Kishida, who's in charge of the sex industries, Sakurada, who's the a contraband trader, and Kom, I think it's Kumoi, he's a premium mm-hmm. buyer, which I don't even know what the fuck that means. I guess he buys really nice stuff like watches and shit i don't know but he's the coolest looking one because he's got like the white little pupil contact like marilyn manson style (laughs) 
Yeah, he looks like a Bond villain. He totally Except does. Like, yeah, but like, but if a Bond villain was a joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, uh, it's so obvious, like, oh, this is going to be, this is probably going to be the bad guy, but we'll see. I, like, right away, I was like, you had to give him the weird pupil eye. Like, now I'm just figuring he's going to be the worst of them all. Um, and uh, everyone has a different color phone, so you know, like, the, uh, they're different person, well, not personality, but like, it's just like every little detail down to like, they have different postures and they have different color phones and they have like different stuff under desks and it's like this very uh, economic way of showing like uh, these are the four bad guys and you can tell uh, who's who by like the color of the phone on their uh, on their desk so like the, like this little things like that help you tell them apart. I really it's... like that about it. I like the fact they all dress a little bit differently. They all have their own style. It's just cool. Like the. <clears throat> I don't think we mentioned that yet, but the fashion, like the clothing and everything in this movie is so cool. Like everybody looks so different. I think that's one thing that kind of sucks about modern film is everyone just kind of looks the same <clears throat> dressed wise, like the way they look, like the way they dress. Mm. And in this movie, everyone kind of has their own style. I mean, you even got a sailor guy. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> um, so anyway, um, we find out Yogi uh, was a or Yoyogi was a drug dealer uh, for the gang, and the gang is actually their five partners. They call themselves the Five Rays Club, and like I said, the ninety they own ninety five percent of Killer Town. And the the phone rings, and uh, Kamoi answers the phone. They find out that the cards represent the order that they will get killed, the playing cards that they all have. And we find out that the killer is the Joe of Spades. So Kamoy, all of a sudden, this is what would made me suspicious if I was one of mm-hmm. his part. All of a sudden, this is some little bitch digs out a story out of his ass <laughs> from twenty years ago. He's like, "Oh, this reminds me of a story from twenty years ago. I was involved in a sort of basically, I backstabbed this motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they shoot this guy. Uh, I, I forget his name. I think it's Soto or Sudo. Sudo. And the, they tell this guy to get out of the. They're in, like, in the middle of a war or something. Tell me to get out of the vehicle. They shoot him. I'm not kidding because they show Sudo, the guy that they shoot, on the ground. And he takes a photo of his child out of his out of his side, out of his inside pocket. I thought the photo stopped the bullet or something. <laughs> but apparently, <laughs> I was like, damn, that's some good-ass photo paper. Holy shit. But, no, he does end up dying. But the story is that. Kamoi thinks that this son has now come to revenge his father. His name was uh, Jotaro, which kind of sounds more like Motaro's son <laughs> in Mortal Kombat yeah. or some shit. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, yeah, I always think that whenever I watch this too. <laughs> Jotaro. And uh, he thinks that that's what's basically what he's doing. He's coming to avenge his dad's death, which is weird because then when he just kill his ass, why would he kill all the other guys? But whatever. They seem yeah. to fall for this. For some reason, yeah. Which like the other guys don't look like villains. They just look like, I mean, they look like like like, like criminals, but they don't look like a villain. Like, Kumai looks like a look a straight up villain. <laughs> yeah, the rest of them just kind of look like corporate assholes, like rich corporate asshole guys that just make a lot of money and and run the town. But yeah, he's the only one that looks super suspicious. Um, which you know, hey. For those of y'all that like to wear colored contacts, maybe you like to put just one in your eye. You know, I have a very best friend, Chris, 
who like who used to do that when, when I was you know we were in our early twenties. He would always put like one white eye contact. You know, it made him feel cool. He's not that cool, but <laughs> it made him feel cool. He was also the guy that used to wear the long trench coat. Like we used to always say, like, "Hey, how's it in the Matrix?" We used to always fuck with him. <laughs> so. <laughs> Oh, is it, he's in trench coat mafia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is. Uh, I bet you he still has it somewhere in the closet. I, I hope I can find it one day. Hmm. So then we're introduced to, because they decide they want to hire some assassins. So then we're introduced to this poor administrative assistant for this assassin agency who has who's forced to work in a complete solitary confinement room. <laughs> it's like dark as shit. There's nothing in there but her. She kind of looks like the lady, the little lady from The Incredibles um, that creates the superhero costumes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she kind of does. <laughs> and so um, all of a sudden this, uh, she says, like, all right, cool. We'll get you some – we'll get some assassins going. She makes some calls. And then this dope-ass 60s music pops off, and we get this really cool – that whole silhouette of all the assassins mm-hmm. and shooting at the sc- – that is so cool. I love that shit. I was like, oh, man, this movie has some style. Damn. <sighs> yeah. Then we get uh, some uh, shots of some different assassins um, heading to apply to the, the open position. This is, <laughs> yeah. oh, my God. Because yeah, it's it's the John Wick world where, like, assassins are just, like, a, it's a common enough job where you can just audition for it. <laughs> and, like, everyone knows, like, who who who's who. And it's like. It's like what what John Wick, but not as sad and uh, um, violent. What if it's like goofier? <laughs> it is. It, it the the fact that they show all of them coming by boat and plane and bus, and they're all different the way they act and the things that they're doing. They're not all. I think that's what's kind of funny about the the movie is the assassins. You would expect for them to all be very tough guys. But they're all different. They all kind of have their own personalities. They're not trying to just be the toughest dude in the room. And we get our first look, by the way, during this little part of that little guy, the little dude who kind of looks like a mini odd job. I'm not oh, kidding, yeah. bro. I thought he was a, um, I thought he was a little person. I didn't think that was actually like a kid. I thought that was like a, oh. a little person. I thought that was like a grown man. Just he's little, like. And because he kind of has like the his demeanor of like this kid actually he's like twenty five years old. <laughs> it just blew me away. I was like, he did a great job. This kid. I don't know. I don't have his name on me right now, but that kid kicks some ass. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a fun fun he's, character. He's a uh, he's Al Capone the third. Al Capone the cause, third. <laughs> yeah, because he said. Uh, uh, he was born after Al Capone left Japan or came to Japan. Yeah, he's a fun baby. Yeah, basically. So I call him Lil Capone throughout the rest <laughs> of my notes. I'll be calling him Lil Capone. And and he, and he and, and like he's introduced smoking a cigar on a plane. Yeah, that's right. And and no one around him is telling his kid to put it away. And it's like, oh, I guess this kid is a, is a legit assassin. Yeah, they um, this the the flight attendant tries to give him some milk to drink because he's obviously a child. He blows cigar <laughs> smoke in her face, and then she gives him a, like a Manhattan, and he's like, ah, and he just fucking chugs it. This kid's a badass. He's like one of my favorite characters for sure. <laughs> uh, then after all that, we eventually get to headquarters, and I think we we they show us. 
they show us this guy that is walking. He decides to walk. He's in a full suit. This is the guy that's that shoots the the freaking calculator thing, <laughs> Abacus. Yeah, yeah, the the Eddie Deason of the movie. <laughs> yeah, the Eddie Deason of the movie. And this guy's in a full blown suit. If I was doing this in South Texas, where I'm at right, I'm sweating right now recording this, y'all. If I was in a full <laughs> suit walking the swamp, I'd be in Swamp Butt City, baby, real quick. <laughs> So he gets stopped. He stops this guy that's driving this like scooter moped thing, and it's no other than good old Joe Shishido. Uh, we meet his character, which I just call cool guy for most of the movie because he's the <laughs> coolest motherfucker, like a thousand times cooler than anyone that's in the frame with him. And he stops him, and I think he makes him take him for. A- <laughs> he like holds him up and tells him yeah. to take him. <laughs> but Joe's so cool, like you can tell, like. Like first off, you immediately know like, well, clearly Joe Joe is an assassin. Look how cool he is. But also, he's clearly playing along with Eddie D's and being like, okay, okay, you're threatening me with a gun. All right. Yeah, he um, yeah, he totally lets him be. He lets him kind of live in his delusional world, but cool, the freaking cool guy just knows like he all automatic like right away seems. He's he's in on this or something. Like he knows something. He's way he's being way too cool about having a gun in his face, and he's just <laughs> kind of going with the flow. And we see yeah, all think, the random I, assassins yeah, think, too. That's so. Much I think fun. He, I think Joe's wearing a a, a mechanic's um, like jumpsuit too, which inherently is not cool. But him wearing it is like, well, I want to wear one now. Yeah, like he looks like he's about to go paint a house. Like through a lot of this movie, <laughs> he's wearing like a jump. You are. He's wearing like a jumpsuit thing. Like coveralls or some shit, but yeah, he makes it work, uh, and he always has dope ass sunglasses too. And we get the auditions, and this is where we really get into the different fighting characters for a, a really knockoff video game. It looks like something that would have been <laughs> yeah. on the 3DO. <laughs> we, yeah, we, or we, the uh, what was it called? Turbo Graphics. Oh, oh, I love the Turbo Graphics. <laughs> That, that was one I always heard myth of, but I was born in 91, so by the time I was playing video games, none of my friends had one. Did you say you were born in 91? Yes. Oh, yeah, you kind of missed it. Yeah, the Graphics 16 I didn't own one myself, but it was a dope console, dude. Like, underappreciated just because the timing of it all, but that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. Yeah, same with Sega Saturn. Like, I, I always wanted to see one in person. I never saw one in person until earlier this year. Yeah, I eventually just bought my own a few years ago because I always wanted to play it. I had played it at a friend's house like twice, and it was dope. And I would, eventually I saw one for really cheap, like a whole bundle, and I bought it. Hmm. And I was like, oh, this is cool. I just attached it to a CRT because it looks best on those older TVs. I have like two or three old TVs that I just have lying around to put old consoles on because I'm weird. And... Mm-hmm. <laughs> No, that's that makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, that's what it was meant to be played on. So you know, I like I like to play. But yeah, the Sega Saturn also really nice two D games. It really wasn't that great with the three D stuff, but the two D games are some of the best I've ever seen at the time, especially. But um, yeah, we get a whole cavalcade of people. We get like a an Asian guy that's pretending to be a Native American. I think. <laughs> yeah, these movies like copy Amer- like Hollywood. Even like in terms of racism, yeah. <laughs> uh, and they, they basically, all the guys that are hiring them are just testing them out. Like, how accurate are you? 
they have like a little dummy guy that they got to shoot to show like and the how... dummy changes uh, every it, so often. It does. Like they put have to put in a new dummy depending on who the character is, like who the assassin is. Uh, we yeah. meet killer poet. Um, I think it's Heine Maki. Heine Maki. Heine, I think. Heine. Hine, I said Hine. Something like that. Uh, he, <laughs> Hine. <laughs> and he has a book that when he opens it to page 13, it shoots a bullet out of the book. Cool, I guess. We meet uh, O.N. Kane. Uh, that I said that's super American, but it's, it's said way <laughs> different. And yeah. he just uses a – I just call him baseball guy. Uh, but he uses yeah. a bat that is also a gun. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And we get the backstory of, of the main assassins. We do, yes. Time goes on. Yeah, we do eventually figure out like what inspired them to want to kill for the rest of their lives, <laughs> which is super melodramatic, but in a funny way. Yeah. Um, There's Knife Tatsu. Knife uh, Tatsu. He throws, um, ku- I think, kunai, do you call those? Uh, he has on his sandals, and he has a knife that he'll slowly uh uh, walk run, walk to- at you. Yeah, he'll power walk to you. <laughs> he power walks to you with a knife in his hand. It's not even the most scary knife. It's just a knife you would use in your kitchen, but he yells at you while he's doing it, so it is kind of intimidating. But did you notice that he cuts, he, he stabs like a cowboy cutout of the, so, and it mm-hmm. bleeds blood? Like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. I noticed that. I was like, oh, okay, good bit. Uh, then that's when we meet accountant dude. His name is uh, uh, Kunmatsu or something like that. Kanmatsu, like that. And yeah. his weapon is that he throws an abacus in midair, shoots it, then he releases a bunch of tiny explosives towards the enemy. And we get to know that he's a penny pinching hoe, pretty much. Like he's always looking for yeah. ways to make money throughout the entire movie. And I gotta admit, they kept to the bit. Like they never even dropped the bit. <laughs> I thought, oh, okay, maybe this is a little beginning part. Nope. This motherfucker is a penny pigeon hole throughout the whole movie. He's asking about health insurance benefits, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> overtime yeah. and shit. But but we do I, we do eventually learn why he's so obsessed with with with, uh, with saving money. Yeah, we do. We do. <laughs> pretty soon we're gonna learn that. Then uh, this then we meet little the little kid, uh, little Asian Dennis the Menace, because he has this deadly slingshot as a weapon. And uh, which we we you know we call Lil Capone, and he shoots he shoots the thing, and they're like, all right, cool, little kid, you can be in the fucking you can be an assassin. We'll hire you. So he gets part of it. So the all the assassins meet with the mob bosses, and they go over the mission. Uh, we find out that Joe's the Joe of Spades has a mole on the bottom of his foot. So that's going to be another bit that's woven throughout the entire movie, where they're trying to find somebody that happens to have a mole. On the bottom of their foot, yeah, you can't make this shit up, y'all. <laughs> they are like this. This is this a like? What if Adam West Batman was a was a who is a comedy? <laughs> this could like be broken up and in, into like uh like episodes of like that that Batman series. Just insert Adam West at random parts. Oh, it really could be. I totally believe that. Uh, they're all given these little badges that give them clearance to go wherever they want in the town because they do own 95%. So basically it's like they have the boss's blessing so nobody will stop them from going anywhere, which is so dope. I would love that. It would be cool if I could have a badge or I could just do whatever I wanted. Um, And so then they take off from HQ. Then we get this quick glimpse of a guy that's in this orange creamsicle suit. 
and we'll see him a couple of times throughout the movie, but I still don't know his oh. importance. The, the uh, guitar guy? Guitar guy, yeah. He's in the... He's, yeah, guitar, yeah, guitar guy in the creamsicle suit. This guy yeah, sticks that's... out like a sore thumb. <laughs> yeah, he looks like... Uh... It's, it's Dumb and Dumber where they have the, the orange cream suit. Yes. Lloyd has it. Yes. And then <laughs> Harry has the uh, blue suit. Yes, he looks just like Lloyd with his fucking orange-ass suit. Oh, man. And uh, we cut to a scene with... Uh, we see this old guy getting scrubbed. He's the main boss of the neighboring um, uh, Anzai gang. So his tattoo is hilarious, by the way. He's getting scrubbed. Uh, he has... A, did you see his tattoo? <laughs> Um, I forgot. So it's a woman. It's like a geisha, uh, uh, tattooed on his shoulder, and she's doing like a flying kick. But his her legs are spread, obviously, and her crotch is where his armpit is. So he has his arm up, and it's hairy, <laughs> and it just looks like <laughs> y'all can figure oh. out the rest. <laughs> I was like, oh man, this movie, dude. <laughs> that is such a like a weird secretive because I, I didn't notice it the first watch. Because I just oh, looked yeah. beyond it. And then I saw the second time and I was like, oh, dude, they're totally just trying to make it look like it's the crotch. That's so funny. So uh, <laughs> we find out that. I never, never noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> You're not thinking about female crotches. <laughs> no, this me. movie like it's like so innocent that like that wouldn't even cross my mind that it would even like hint at anything sexual. Yeah, I think that's why they had to be so sneaky about it. I mean, maybe I'm looking too much into it, but you take a look when they introduce the boss and he's in that bathhouse, because it totally looks like that's what it's supposed to be. It's the only tattoo on him, too. So that's what makes it even hmm. seem even more suspicious. But we find out that they plan on killing the assassins one by one, and they're going to use these two other assassins that they hired. And then the lady, there's a little bit where the lady washing him asks him why he likes his bathhouse. And he's like, oh, I just like this painting of, like, Mount Fuji or some shit. Fujima. And I was like, all right, cool. I guess so. Whatever, bro. I guess you like paintings. Um, yeah. You sure it's not because they jerk you off at some point? <laughs> <laughs> so we meet, uh, we meet two assassins that would never blend in anywhere because they are basically <laughs> dressed like the spy versus spy guys, but without those plague masks. It's like, what yeah. the fuck? Uh, it's just uh, <laughs> odd and even. Yeah. Upper even Cho and upper odd Han. <laughs> so odd and even. <laughs> and their strategy is uh, they, they, they walk in, in sync with each other, and when they approach someone... You have to shoot one of them, and so when one of them dies, they kill the the guy who shot the other one. Excellent strategy on it, Ethan. <laughs> I like how their strategy only works if they're only a, a targeting one person. <laughs> if there's two people, they're <laughs> fucked. Like, they're both going to die. So dumb. And the boss still hires them for some reason, and he just tells them, make sure you leave these playing cards with the bodies. They're trying to keep that up. That whole bit. Yeah, and this is this is when you see Joe sh Joe's brother, the guy with sunglasses. Yeah, he's there because he's kind of. Uh, I think there's a little bit where they're kind of arguing, like, "Hey, why don't you just let us do the killing?" And the dad's like, "Who's the boss?" He's like, "No, I don't. If people know your fucking faces. Like, y'all are some of the richest people in this town. Like, they see you shooting people. Everyone's gonna know. So we need to hire assassins, which actually does make sense." Um, yeah. So we see, um, but, but I think before that you get um, knife Tatsu uh, when they get assigned to like protect the bosses, 
he like threatens an old uh, threatens an old woman because she refuses to accept his help. Oh no, that's the next scene. Yes, yeah. What next, is that? Okay. That is like the what is he like a nice bully? He's like he <laughs> he threatens a man who kind of looks like an Asian Michael Stipe. By the way, if you look back, he looks like Michael mm. Stipe. And he comes through. He threatens the man to help this lady in a bat with holding a basket. <laughs> and so he's like, okay, okay, I'll hold it. He's like, oh, good, good. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> That shit made no sense. I was like, damn, he's just cutting fools to help a random-ass person. And then we see that the the book guy, the poet, he's having a weird flashback of his lost love named uh, Mio. And he is just... The same actress that plays the uh, the bartender. Yes. So it is the same person. I was thought I was being yes. racist because I thought... I was like, why did... I thought there was two different people. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, they got to be two different people. So that's why he, like, confuses her as much as he does. Because, yeah. okay, that makes more sense. Because he talks about it. And he talks about how he prays to her, like, once a day or some shit. He t- he's telling Knife Guy this. And all of a sudden this taxi comes through. And he's, I don't know if this, <laughs> I don't know how the hell the coincidence <laughs> of this. But he sees a woman that looks just like Mio inside the taxi. He's like, we need to go get her. And then Knife Guy's like, wait, is that chick Joe? Because, <laughs> I mean, did you forget what our mission is? We're supposed to kill a guy named Joe. <laughs> oh, such a mess. Uh, so they're manipulating his ass. Then uh, Komatsu uh, and Baseball Guy decide to stop at a dessert place. And it's funny because Komatsu's <laughs> like, oh, we should pop in here. And Baseball Guy's like, why would a why would a guy that's an assassin killing people be have like a sweet tooth? He's like, well, you never know. He could be tricking us. Like, I mean, he's like, how about we go to that fucking bar, dude? Like, that probably makes a little bit more sense. <laughs> so stupid. So they go yeah. into the bar. I like this whole bar scene. I like the feel of this place too. It seems kind of dope. Um, yeah, this is my favorite sequence. The the TV uh, bit. The which bit? The TV. Oh um, yeah, the TV thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so good, dude. Uh, I love that whole shit. And uh, Komatsu does speak to. He runs into Cool Guy while he's in that bar, and yeah. Cool Guy tells him. He tries asking him like, "Hey, so what's going on? What are you looking for?" Because Komatsu, when he went into the bar, he's like, oh, "We're looking for a guy named Joe the Spade. If you're him, I'm gonna kill you." <laughs> <laughs> the worst assassin ever. Like, who the fuck does that? And and Joe's just sitting there, just like drinking. He's like, Ugh, this moron. <laughs> but 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 he's so but like he's just so cool. It's like you know he he you can like uh I'm trying to like he can hide it because he's just so chill with everything. Yeah, you can't tell what his agenda. Is. He, and he plays dumb, and he kind of feeds into Komatsu's ego. By he decides to accept being an apprentice to Komatsu to learn how to be an assassin. Uh, he keeps giving him money. He keeps giving Komatsu money, which is making him very happy. So that's pretty much, I think, why he keeps him around because he keeps giving because Joe keeps giving him money. So then they decide to leave. Uh, Komatsu decides he, to bring him on board. It's so weird. So now they're going to be partnered up this whole time, apparently. Yeah, but it becomes a buddy buddy thing. <laughs> I like it though. I think it was a good decision because I, I do like their vibe. You got like the serious cool guy and the the decent of the movie. <laughs> yeah, put them together. The who, yeah, yeah, the guy who is the cool guy and the guy who thinks he's the coolest guy. <laughs> yes, yes, very much so. Um, 
and yeah, we, we're with baseball guy, and he's watching the Giants game because, uh, by the way, earlier in the movie he mentions he does not work when the Giants win. I guess it's a celebratory <laughs> thing. But yeah. maybe the Giants were really garbage at this time because they seem to be letting him down quite a bit as we watch the movie. But uh, he's there, and Lil Capone comes through, and he gets pissed off because he's like, baseball again? I don't want to fucking see baseball. So he shoots his <laughs> gun. I, what kind of – they got pellet guns? Like, what the fuck? He shoots his gun at a TV. It changes the channel to I, – I forget the name of the show. Fuck. I think it's Untouchables. Yes. The, yeah. And he's like, yeah, there you go. That's better. Then baseball guy shoots it again, and it goes back. And they start going <laughs> back and forth. The owner comes through. He's like, please stop or you'll, you'll break it. And they're like, ah, shut the <laughs> fuck up. They start shooting it again. And they create your first split screen, <laughs> split screen TV. <laughs> like, holy shit. Picture in picture, baby. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's such a fun, stupid gag that I, it doesn't have to be there. But I love that's there. And I love the fact that. There's such little details, like you said. Like so, then uh, the the uh, the the bartender from the bar comes through, and you see you see baseball guy and Lil Capone, and they both have one hand covering each eye because they're just watching what <laughs> happened on the TV. <laughs> so stupid! Like they didn't have to do that, but it's so fucking funny. So she comes in and she tells baseball guy, "Hey, you should come and." join me at the bar like you know our bartender really loves baseball and his favorite team is the Giants so he agrees he takes off and Lil Capone calls him an unreliable killer and then chugs a beer <laughs> that little kid is the dopest <laughs> kid ever so then we cut to uh, Creamsicle Man and he's uh, singing at the docks uh, <laughs> with his guitar and we see Odd and yeah. Even and they're just kind of sneaky sneaking around yeah. looking and super the, obvious I, uh, yeah yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I've seen a few of these movies from this time, and uh, the the guitar guy is kind of a staple character. Okay, because uh, he does feel kind of shoehorned, creamsicle. Like he doesn't really need to be in this movie. So you're right. If it's no. a staple, then I totally get him being in the movie. I get that. Yeah, there's a there's a whole series of one uh, called the I think the Rambling Gu- Guitarist. And it's like these kind of light Yakuza action comedies about this traveling guitarist who kind of gets mixed up in Yakuza stuff. And he, and he uh, uh, walks around and like plays guitar and sings. And they're, I, I've only seen one. It's it's fine. But like it, it, it definitely is just like a uh, like audience at the time would recognize this type of character. And uh, yeah. Because I even think in like Kung Fu Hustle, there's a guitar guy. Like I feel like that that is like a common thing. Maybe we'll need to bring you back for Kung Fu Hustle because there is a mustache in that movie, from what I remember. Yeah, so. Definitely, I love that I love movie, movie so much, man. I haven't seen it in years too. It would be good to to revisit it. But yeah, so he's playing, and then I think what happens is the odd and even. They see this cat come. Is it, is this when they see that guy come through? Yeah, uh, yeah, they see the guy with umbrella with the gold umbrella, which looks so cool. That umbrella is dope as hell. By the way, I didn't even know this guy wasn't one of the assassins because there were so many in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, you briefly see him. There's like the five main ones, and then a couple. Of there's extras. some random, random ones who you never know anything about. Yeah, the only reason I knew was he had the he had that little button badge thing, and they end up they the, it works. They end up killing his ass. He falls to the ground. They try to run away, but um, Komatsu and and cool guy Joe, they run into them, 
and uh, he's about to do his little uh, abacus trick, but it takes so damn long that Joe just <laughs> literally just pop, pop, pop. He just fucking kills their asses. <laughs> and the fact that Deezen, <laughs> Asian Deezen, is so full of himself that he thinks, oh, my God, I'm such a good shot. I killed him before I even, like, took my gun out. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about, bro? Like, what kind of magical world are you living in? That is not the way shooting people works, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, he's just so fucking egotistical he thinks he killed him himself and uh after that they i think they they talk to umbrella guy but he's he's dead he's long gone and then they oh and on even they tell each other we should have never overlapped each other <laughs> that was bad <laughs> luck <laughs> so stupid oh, oh my yeah. god <laughs> so then I, th- I think after that we got baseball guy knife guy and poetry guy they're at they're all at the bar <laughs> I like how you could all call him by like something guy. We got yeah. <laughs> baseball guy, knife guy, poetry guy. They're... Yeah, that, that's part of that's part of the fun of the movie. It's like everyone has uh, one characteristic, and that's that's enough. So that like when talking about it, it's like you don't, you don't need names. You just be like uh, baseball, poetry, <laughs> knife. <laughs> <laughs> and it does help because there are so many. My brain. It really did take two watches for me to be able to really get a feel for everything because there's just so much going on. Um, and eventually, uh, the poetry guy he sees he sees the server or the bartender, and he thinks it's Mio. So he grabs her and he's like holding her like that's his chick, and she's like, "Uh, my name's uh, Emmy, I think Emmy Emmy, and um, yeah. EMI. I don't." Know. And uh, baseball guy. <laughs> gets mad because his team loses to the, I guess, the Detroit Tigers. And he shoots the wall yeah. where there's a Tiger well, they mask. Have, they, have, they have corporate teams over there. Like like Nintendo has like a professional team. Oh, wait. So, like, so it, it's, he's it, not going for I thought there was U.S. Sport. I thought he was watching MLB. He's not, uh, Are you sure? I thought he was watching MLB. My my understanding is like the base the baseball league over there, like they oh. just kind of copy American names and it's like it's locked company like major corporations own the teams oh okay okay he gets mad because they lose to the tiger so he shoots a tiger mask and it falls on someone's head and the knife guy sees the guy <laughs> and he goes ah! and he says all the captions said was scary but it fucking cracked me up just watching <laughs> this guy freak out uh it's one of those you, you, this is one of those movies like we can't do it just, you have to see this stuff to really get the gags it's really hard to explain them because a lot of it is very physical and facial stuff. They do a lot of physical facial things that is just fucking hilarious to me and the sounds and stuff. Um, some of it yeah, I might it, throw it, in, it, little sound bites. Yeah, it, it's very... Um, you could tell, like, a majority of, like, the budget was trying to figure out how, how do we do, like, a thousand gags in, like, 20 days. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty much it. I don't think there's a scene without some gag at some point that, that comes through. Uh, we go to the rival gang headquarters where Creamsicle Man is updating the boss about, um, you know, odd and even dying. Boss says to hire four. Since two assassins didn't work, let's hire four. And if four assassins don't work, we'll hire eight. I don't give a fuck. Let's get this <laughs> job done. Uh, is this before or after the shooting uh, shooting bottle scene with the Joe? That's coming your... up. Yeah, that's, I think that's coming right up. Right? I'm pretty sure. I don't think I skipped it. Let me see. Let me double check. Because that is a really funny scene. I think that should be coming up. Uh, okay. 
Blah, 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 blah. I'm just going to cut all this out. I just want to double check. Oh, yeah. yeah it is coming up. It's coming up. So, okay. um, where was I at? Uh, they're hiring new assassins. Yeah, so he decides he wants to hire. He wants to hire some four assassins now. The three brothers still want to do the job, but their dad, the the dad refuses. The phone rings, and it's. The, it turns out that that server at the bar, the bartender uh, Emmy, is actually a, his daughter. So she's the sister in this whole family. So she's working for them. She lets him know about the three assassins that are there at the bar at the time, and he says, "We'll kill them. Like they're there." And she's like, I don't really want to kill him at my own bar. Like, <laughs> you know, this is my business. I don't really want a bunch of bloodshed here right now. But he eventually does convince her. He's like, hey, I paid for your schooling. I did all this. I taught you how to be an assassin. Like, come on now. And she's like, okay, fine. I'll do it for the family. Meanwhile, the guys are putting fake spiders. They're crawling through the bar. <laughs> Putting fake <laughs> spiders in people's shoes so that way once they find out, they'll relief, they'll take their shoe off and take their sock off and they can look at their feet and see if they have a mole underneath. It is the dumbest bullshit I've ever seen, but it's hilarious. Uh, I mean, Knife tries to, like, stick a spider in some lady's coochie for a moment, but baseball stops him. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, no, no, hey, hey, hey. That's not, <laughs> yeah. not what we're here that's for. Such a, that's such a weird moment. <laughs> Like, what are you doing, bro? Oh my god! And then, so then, I don't know why. I guess because she still really didn't want to kill him in her bar. Uh, Emmy ends up making three of them different cocktails, and they just knock the fuck out. So she basically knocked him out yeah. just to, I guess, stop him from finding Joe. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I mean, yeah, in fairness, uh, if I owned a bar, I wouldn't want to do that in my bar. I'd like take it outside. I'm not gonna like ruin uh, and like make a like, cleanup. Uh, you know. A real, you know, shitty situation. If I don't have, if I need to. Yeah, I feel like if someone gets capped at your bar, it's going to be dead for about a month before people start trickling in again. <laughs> it's like, well, I, I'm going to give it a little space. I don't really want to get shot at this bar. Um, so then, after that, Joe brings uh, Asian Diz to his place, and he offers um, uh, he offers to be his bodyguard for the night. Asian Diz does, and he stays at his place for the night. Joe gives them some money for the job. First, is this a constant of their their whole relationship is ridiculous. It's like he's trying to pretend <laughs> like he's his apprentice. Um, we then we get a little backstory about Asia Deason. Uh, he was an apprentice at a drugstore, and the boss would give him these noogies on the side of his head all the time <laughs> because he kept fucking up. And he would just, like, basically, it was kind of fucked up. He was, like, basically abusing his ass. But he created, like, a bald spot on the side of his head. And Asian Deason's whole purpose of doing the assassin stuff is to get enough money so he can open his own drugstore one day and own his own and specialize in hair growth, I think. <laughs> Some shit like that. <laughs> so weird. Yeah, it, it's very specific. And he needs exactly 2 million yen to open up this drugstore. Yeah. And so he has like a little – he has his advocates all the time, collect, you know, and that he has like a little booklet where he checks – he has all his balances and everything ready to go. So it's it's interesting. So then we're now at one of the boss's houses, and he gets picked up. They tell him like, oh, they're here to pick you up. He's like, really? And they're like, yeah. So he goes into the car. They drop him off somewhere, and he ends up getting capped. So it was all a setup. He gets killed. We head to HQ where Komoi is getting after the assassins for sleeping on the job because they – drank that cocktail they were like dude we had a drink and then we knocked out like we don't know what happened we weren't there to protect them 
So, yeah. so now one one of the five are dead, and three assassins are dead. Three of the assassins they hired, and the uh, pencil mustached mustachioed boss is worried now. I forget. I think he's the Salva uh, something. I forget how to say his full last name, but he's worried now because he's next to be targeted according to the cards. So then after that, that's when we get this really funny scene of Asian Deezen and Joe, and they're doing a little bit of shooting practice. <laughs> Outside, <laughs> <laughs> and Adrian Deason is, is is talking real shit. Like, oh, I can shoot the red bottle. And he hits the bottle next to the red bottle. <laughs> he hits, yeah, he hits the white bottle. He goes, I was aiming for the red, but I still got the white. Right? <laughs> it's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> and then Joe, in the most cool way possible, like he picks up the gun and he's like, oh, what's this? And he pretends like he doesn't know what he's doing and then he hits like six in a row. It's hilarious and they while he's shooting each bottle down the line there's like freaking 12 bottles or something. While he's shooting each <laughs> one they show Asian Deason's face and he's just like oh oh God. like he's just making all these funny faces <laughs> it's so good. He looks like the one that maybe has the most comedic experience or like that kind of silly slapsticky type uh, I kind of wouldn't mind seeing more movies with that actor in it. I gotta look to to get his name and everything, but he's so good. Um, then we head to the the rival gang HQ. There's a lot of going back to the HQs. We're at the rival gang HQ where they are speaking to an assassin named Sailor Jin, and uh, he's dressed <laughs> like a sailor. He looks like Popeye. Uh, he has the ability to sh- to shoot a rotary phone with a gun that is in the shape of a, a smoking pipe. Uh, yeah. Cool. All of, them, all of them have a, a gun either in a book, in a baseball bat, in a pipe. It, it's just uh, hidden in their pants. It's hilarious. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> we meet. Uh, so there's four of them. One of them's called, uh, his name is Junji. Oh, shit. Konisada. And he's. That pocket monkey? No, the pocket one, his name is Pocket. Yeah, Pocket Monkey. <laughs> <laughs> pocket Monkey's the one that has his. He has pistols woven into his pet pockets, and he just puts his hands in his pockets. And he's like, "Hacha!" And he like he fucking shoots people <laughs> with them. But his pa- his pants are too heavy for his little body. He's like real slender, and so his pants fall down to his ankles constantly. <laughs> Such a stupid bit, but it's hilarious when you see it. He's like a squirrely, weird little older guy. It's really funny. His like little voice, so good. <laughs> uh, there's a guy that has that. A two- we actually get our first. I think in the entire history of the podcastio, our first toothbrush mustache. Because this guy, there's a guy there that ha- he has like a, 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 he has like a little beanie on, and he has like a cape. He almost looks like a Scottish person, but he's Asian. <laughs> I, don't know. I guess it depends on what he's from a certain culture where that's what they wear. And um, yeah, I, I thought he was supposed to be like a takeoff Sherlock Holmes, but I'm not really sure. I don't know what it's supposed to be. He keeps talking about what mountain communities from or like they. Uh, his oh, heritage. Yeah. He's like, yeah, it's like, like a like he's like a, Highlander. from like a, a warrior, yeah, like a warrior clan. Yeah, he's from like a something. warrior clan, and uh, he has like he looks very distinct. He also speaks with the most like, I would say the most guttural voice of the movie. He has like a very specific type of voice that you've probably heard in a lot of anime and stuff. Um, he has a really yeah, cool he, voice. Like, he's doing a like. A, uh, a a no style performance the NHO uh, style thing like that it's a the oldest Japanese theater it's a very specific type of performance and like he speaks in that um uh, in like the the 
uh, what's the word? In, in, that, in that cadence. It is. It's very dramatic. Uh, it really catch it caught my attention. That's for sure. <laughs> but he totally has like a toothbrush mustache. He kind of just has a little bit right there in the middle. Um, so there you go. There's your Hitler mustache of, of the <laughs> of the, of the yeah. movie. Um, and then we also introduced to 006, who's the boss of 007. <laughs> His skill is that he has a suitcase, or not a suitcase. He has a briefcase that releases different types of grenades and gunpowder, and it also releases a. Um, what is that? Um, is it nitrous oxide? I, yeah. The, to make everybody laugh. So he releases gas and makes you laugh, and you're distracted, and that's how he beats you. And they call themselves the Quartet Killers. Now, how these? So you got a fucking sailor. You got a pocket. You got mm-hmm. a pocket monkey. You got a. You got a double oh six, and you got a guy from like some kind of Highland home. Like he's like from some kind of thing. He's a warrior. How did the fuck did these guys meet? I don't even like what the fuck. There's such a collage of people, but whatever. They they call themselves that, portrait killers. That's the John Wick quality of like, well, they're they're assassins for every every occasion, and everyone knows each other. <laughs> it's crazy, man. So they decide that their next target will be poetry guy. He confronts. He ends up going to confront uh, Amy about the cocktails that knocked him out. And she says she's innocent, but if 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 he wants to kill her just to kill her, like it's fine, whatever. Like she's accepted her death. She says something like, "He's like, but you're so beautiful. Why would you want to die?" And she's like, "All oh, all beautiful women die young, or something like." She's being very dramatic, and she said that yeah. um, if you're gonna kill me, though, can you kill me at my apartment? <laughs> can, can I lay on my couch? <laughs> <laughs> so he agrees because she's hot. So he's like, "Yeah, yeah, let's go to your apartment." So they go over to her apartment. And then the rest of the assassins are waiting for Poetry Guy to show up. They're at HQ, and we find out that Knife has a ha, was a cook at some point, but had a very horrible experience. He couldn't kill a fish or some shit. Yeah, he, he's a because the uh, Al, <laughs> little Capone wants sashimi or makes a joke about it, and then you learn uh, uh, Knife is afraid of fish. Even though he was trained to be like a sushi chef, a sushi chef, or sashimi chef, yeah. and he's killing people so he can get over the uh, fear of killing, killing a life so he can kill a fish. Yeah, and Lil Capone retorts with, "Weird chef." <laughs> <laughs> It's so funny because it's really the face. It's the face he made. It's so funny, dude. He's like, "You're fucking weird, bro." <laughs> and and that's by far the strangest backstory. Is this like, wait, wait, wait? So he needs to kill people to kill animals, like to eventually gain the ba- bravery to kill fish. He needs to kill humans. It makes no sense. I think Knife Guy is by far the craziest out of all of them. Like, this guy is weird as fuck. He's the one that held up the basket lady. This guy is insane. <laughs> yeah. uh, so then uh, Agent Deason comes in, and he's give, well, well, he's given a letter by this random person, this random lady. We've seen her before. She's definitely working for the um, the rival boss. And he notices that there isn't a stamp on it, so he's like, 10 yen for the stamp. <laughs> he's such a petty, petty hoe. <laughs> So then he asks, um, he asks Lil Capone where Poetry Guy is, and Lil Capone's like, "Oh, I don't know where he's at." So then he goes, "All right, if you don't know where he's at, ten yen." <laughs> he's just like asking everybody for money. 
So then we see Poetry Guy and and uh, Emi, and they're getting fresh at her place. They're like bumping knees, so you know it's getting real hot in there. Mm-hmm. Ooh, because you're right. This is a very non-sexual movie. Like there is nothing sexy at all, other than the fact that the women that are in the movie they are very pretty, but that's pretty much it. So then, yeah, you you got the the women for uh the for the men. You got Joe Shishido for everyone. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> And uh, Creepsicle Man is there. Uh, he's all Desperado style with his freaking guns in the guitar because he's got his guitar. He's got a couple of you know pieces in there. He brings the gun. And he's right there just outside her apartment. He puts the gun through the doorway. You see it right there ready to get Poetry Guy. But for some reason, Emi is like reading his poetry book. She, of course, turns to thir- page 13 when shoots the gun. That's the most accurate book gun I've ever seen. It shoots the gun out of uh, Creamsicle Guy's hands. And so then right away that triggers Poetry Guy. And he's like, oh, shit, I got to get the fuck out of here. You saved my life. You are innocent. I love you. I got to go. So he leaves. She's pissed off at Creamsicle for, like, what happened. I'm like, well, it's kind of your fault. You should have known about his book. <laughs> it's like you should know about the one assassin that uses a fucking book to kill people. <laughs> like, come on now. Yeah, he uh, heads back to the gang, and Little Capone says that he was playing poker with with Asian Deezen, and he says he won, and he had to pay the winning fee. Fucking <laughs> 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 like asshole! Oh god! So then Asian Deezen gets Poetry Guy to give him ten yen for that letter once again. He's like, "Oh, it doesn't have a stamp." Okay, you give me the. Little... Or I think he gave, asked him ten yen for delivering it to him, so that he's reading it. Poetry Guy's reading it, and it's like. He's thinking it's a love letter, and it's like, oh, I'll be waiting at the pier at 9 p.m. Please come alone, and everyone's like, oh, shit, like, this, guy's gonna, this guy's getting in. But then Portrigus, he's all excited, and he reads, from Joe of Spades, and everyone gets shocked as shit. They're all terrified of this guy because they're dying one by one. So they, this guy is like more of a legend. It's like nobody really knows who he is. All they know is he has a mole on the bottom of his foot. This guy's basically a ghost. And uh, – yeah. Baseball guy's watching the game, and he places his baseball bat gun in the damn rack with a shitload of baseball bats. Why he would do that, I don't know. Um, then we get his backstory. I don't know if you want to dig into his backstory a little bit. <laughs> it's so weird. Uh, he well, he mentioned well, the first thing he mentioned was like uh, he never lost a game or something like that. Yeah, and he was like the number one uh, pro when he was playing, but. He was too good that the league <laughs> kicked him out because they were winning too much. <laughs> it made it made the league unfun. <laughs> so they just kicked his ass out. I'm like, what the, f- <laughs> the hell's going on here? Oh my god. I mean, I kind of wish I kind of wish NBA did that with Michael Jordan after the first three P. Oh, I know the Spurs maybe would have been able to pull one more. Maybe Utah would have gotten a championship if uh, if Michael yeah. wasn't there at that time, but. Yeah, man. So apparently he's so angry after that he decided to just kill people because <laughs> he was mad. Yeah. Um, and in the in the flashback, the baseball league takes all his stuff too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was weird. <laughs> <laughs> so the knife comes to get him after finding out about a poetry guy's letter. So then it turns out it was just the quartet gang that sent that letter. Uh, luckily, Knife, Baseball, and Asian Deezen come through to help uh, Poetry Guy. For some reason, they all decide to partner up like this is a tournament. 
and like I'll take you on, and I'll take you on. And they all decide who they're gonna fight, and then they there's this like little like fast motion, fast forward motion where they all and they all go into the different parts of the dock to like figure out where they're gonna fight, uh, where the tournament's gonna happen. So then the first fight we get is poetry guy, and he's fighting sailor dude. He easily defeats this guy pretty quickly, <laughs> but then sailor dude says, "Well, before you kill me." Please give this money to the love of my life. Her name is Mio. And he's like, wait, you love a Mio too? So this is like the Martha thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the Martha thing, dude. And he's like, yes, he's the love of my life. And um, if you could just give her this money, blah, blah, blah. And I guess this touches his heart. So he shoots at his feet, which I guess somehow propels this guy into a dummy <laughs> version of himself. And he goes, into, he falls into a speedboat. I'm not kidding, y'all. This guy flies like a little, like, and he falls right into the fucking boat. Then he shoots the rope that's holding the boat. Then he shoots the back of the boat where the, um, like, I guess the muffler is, and it starts up the engine, and it just takes off into the sea. (laughs) This is him letting him live, but I feel like he might die out there. (laughs) Whatever. Like, fuck, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's just, that's just a a cartoon uh, move. Like, it's, it's just pure cartoon. <laughs> yeah, that's some like Looney Tune shit, dude. I was like, what the fuck is going on? Then we get a really good little fight with Knife and the 006 guys. They partnered up. And it's ridiculous. 006 gives him the laughing gas. They're both laughing for a moment, but then 006 pinches his nose with these little pincher things. <laughs> Knife gets the better of him, though. He's able to knock him down. And he decides to open his shirt to, like, kill his ass. He opens his uh, knife, opens uh, 006's shirt to stab him, but he's got a big old fish tattoo, which is, like, <laughs> I guess Knife's kryptonite. Just the sight of a tat- a picture of a fish throws him off. So then he gets away. Uh, Agent Deason is fighting the dude with the super horse voice that's wearing the cape, the warrior guy. And they're fighting him what looks like a toy store or something. It looks like a weird, like... A, a warehouse for a toy store. Yeah, it looks like in the... Honestly, it does look like the 1960s Batman if he was fighting, you know, the Joker or something. Like, it does look like that. Uh, yeah. And they they go back and forth. They, they're fighting with a sword. I think um, Agent Deason has, like, a little stick staff thing. And they go back and forth. He's about to do his abacus move. Oh, actually, he does do the abacus move, which makes the cape guy, like, say like okay cool i get it like you're gonna kill me he's like what if i pay you so they go back and forth and they do a deal (laughs) (laughs) and he pays he pays agent deason for his life then baseball guy gets the easiest fight because he only has to fight pocket monkey uh yeah and his his pants fall down (laughs) and so then it it just comes a chase and then (laughs) and then they uh jump to the car the giants are playing and they bond over being Giants fans for a second, and then uh, <laughs> Pocket Monkey is not not enough of a fan, and he hasn't been paying too much attention to to the trades, and so he uh, gets defeated because he doesn't know enough about the team. Yeah, because he tells uh, he tells baseball guy what his fa- who his favorite player is. He's like, he's not even on the team anymore, and he fucking shoves his ass outside <laughs> of the car. It's so stupid. Um, so, yeah, he's a bit exposed as a poser fan. So then the fight's over, even though no one really got hurt, because that's the kind of movie it is. Uh, Creamsicle comes to update the boss once again. 
they find out that Emmy actually shot his, him in the hand earlier. So the boss is sort of disappointed, but also kind of impressed. He's like, oh, this my daughter's just as evil as me, but just go in a different direction. Uh, the family decides to hire Creamsicle to kill the rest of the assassins and Emmy. So meanwhile, the crime boss that was uh, that was next to get killed... He's uh he's entering an elevator along with two other assassins that are some of those extra ones that we didn't really see that much. We got the older guy, he's just an old man, and then the guy that wears sunglasses and a fez hat. <laughs> they all get shot the fuck up. We don't know who's shooting them though. We just see his shoes, which will come into play. But they get killed. Uh, then the remain one of the remaining bosses is scolding the assassins after all that because they're pissed because they're slowly getting getting all of them done you know the the five and he decides he wants to head to some island or something i don't know what he says but he's like I, y'all need to escort me out of this building and y'all are gonna need to protect me and it's hilarious because he walks he walks out of his car he I mean he walks out to his car to get out of there and you got not you is got this, knife guy <laughs> they're all surrounding him is this, is this funny is like okay you you get my left you get my right you're in front you're behind and Lil Capone uh, gets uh, gets up top. Yeah, he's like on a dude's shoulders, just kind of with his little. <laughs> he's got a little slingshot. He's like ah, just kind of looking up at the fucking windows and shit. It's so hilarious. It looks so ridiculous. But then Lil Capone gets left behind, unfortunately, and he starts crying in the middle of the road because he didn't get to go with them. I don't know. I, I did notice that that little Capone never fights in any like. I don't think we ever see him fight. So I don't know if that was a just child protection thing that he couldn't shoot film with him killing folks. Probably. Yeah, maybe. I, I imagine it has to be that because it would have been hilarious. Because because there was no kid counterpart. That's true. Yeah, he would have. He would have like. <laughs> destroy and his his uh slingshot literally explodes people so he would have just been blowing people into pieces which would have been kind of awesome yeah. but we never got to see that uh so it's something kind of weird but anyway the the mob boss is going to put himself in a cell uh with with a bed and the guys are supposed to protect him we see baseball pretending that he uh, he's a shoe shiner but he's asking people to remove their <laughs> shoes and socks and he checks their feet for the mole uh, while little Lil Capone is, he hides into a like in a sewer, and he's putting like a little two by four <laughs> with nails coming out where they step on it and they take their shoes off and their socks. He's like, ah, shit. He's like, ah, oh, they don't have the ball. And he ends up seeing a woman who who gets she steps on it. <laughs> he he's looking through like um a magnifying glass and he looks up her skirt. He's like, oh shit, <laughs> it's so stupid, dude. Oh my god. That's yeah. probably like that's also another like little innocent thing that this um, this movie has. So then Asia Deason heads to a recreation center, and he asks. This is a, a really weird scene. Uh, he asks people that work there if they know anyone with a mole on their foot. And there's this guy that calls out. And he's like, "Yeah, I had a mole on my feet. He's in the bathhouse area." And he's like, "And my name's Joe." And he's like, oh, so you're Joe. He's like, well, I go by Joe of Diamonds. I'm not Joe of Spades. So then he, the dude, Joe of Diamonds, tells uh, Asia Deason, but I do know about another guy named Joe that has a mole on his feet. He's playing billiards, though. So he goes, and Asia Deason confronts him, and he's like, oh, I'm the Joe of Clubs. Then this dude refers him to another moly-footed motherfucker. <laughs> and... Uh, 
it's really weird. So it's funny. It's really funny though because when he does, he when he does recommend where to go, the guy's whispering in his ear, but he says pachinko super loud in his face. <laughs> he says pachinko. <laughs> God damn, bro! <laughs> he just yells in his face. So yeah. then he finds another Joe. This is the Joe of Hearts, and uh, basically he's like a. I don't know. He's dressed like as a. He's dressed in women's clothes with makeup and everything. He kind of looks kind of like a geisha. He's got like a nice little yeah. robe on and shit. And Asian Deezing, of course, tries to look down his uh, his <laughs> his robe to see if he has ditties. <laughs> and that Joe of Hearts goes nothing there. <laughs> it's really funny. It's really funny. You have to see it, but it's insane. And it, by the way, all these Joes are played by the same person. They're just all different clothes and shit so they all they look like different people so the joe of heart sends him to this other guy and he's like he's ready to shoot him because he's like this has to be the joe of spades but then joe comes in um cool guy cool guy joe comes in to stop him yeah and the guy goes no i'm not joe of spades i'm joe of space <laughs> what the fuck dude <laughs> oh my god it's so ridiculous uh, I didn't even know what the point of this was. I guess it was just for the wild goose chase of seeing Asian D's and going in circles and being fucked with and shit. I don't know. But it does seem like Joe just, knows this guy. They know each other. Yeah, it's just another dumb gag. Yeah. It goes for a, it goes for a while. It's insane. Uh, and we will see this guy again uh, around the end of the movie. But, yes, this, this Joe of space. Then we get we cut to a scene where it's really funny. Where Asian Deezen is telling Emi, he's like, so I just sniff this handkerchief and you give me 10 yen? <laughs> Easy cheesy. He takes a couple of whiffs and of course it's chloroform, so he like knocks himself out. <laughs> Fucking hilarious. Um, Creamsicle Man throws him in the back of his car and they take off. Joe uh, says hi. At first he's like really nice with Emi. He's like, he invites her to his place. He's like, hey, you want to come over? Of course she says yes. I mean, it's the coolest guy in the movie. Yeah. He goes to her. He goes. He brings her to his place, and this whole interaction is really weird because I guess they do know of each other. Because at some point, she even says she loves him, but he does smack her around a bit because he's like, "Where did you take Asian Deezen? Like, I need to find this guy. I know you're working for your father." Blah blah blah. She tries to kill herself with like a vial of poison, but he does. He stops her from it, and she's like, "Are you gonna kill my father?" He's like, "Oh, what? No, I'm not gonna do that." She's like, "Yes, you are. <laughs> you're totally gonna kill my dad." He's like. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's a whole back and forth. Yeah, like like uh, among all the silliness, like there's like a, a, a serious like uh, like drama going on in the background, but we barely get to see any of it. Yeah, we really don't get that much of it, but we get little tidbits here and there. It's like kind of underlining, but we don't really get full focus on it. It's said that we die two deaths. The first, after we exhale our last breath. And the second, the last time someone speaks our name. I'm Alicia, host of Dead On, a true crime podcast. Together, we'll honor the victims of violent crime, investigate what makes criminals tick, and shed light on long-forgotten cases. Come on this journey with me. Dead On is streaming now. Everywhere you love to listen. Let me see. Okay, so then after that, we go back to the rival gang HQ, and we see Asian D's, and he's all tied up. 
And we see there's this new guy all of a sudden, this new gangster. He's wearing a fedora and a striped jacket, a uh, striped suit jacket. He kind of has like a zoot suit style look uh, on him, which actually looks kind of dope. <laughs> and he's like, hey, let me prove to myself since I'm new, I'll go ahead and kill Agent Deezen. And everyone's like, yeah, go ahead and do it. He's like juggling the gun and she's all nervous and shit. He comes up and he points <laughs> the gun right at Agent Deezen and he just comes to for a second. He's all 10 yen for killing me. <laughs> <laughs> he's like petty pitching for his own death dude like oh man this guy's so good and then just in the nick of time Amy calls and she tells her pops to to use like hey use uh asian decent as bait to get the others first and then you can kill his ass and he's like all right that's actually really smart so he, he agrees and then we are now with knife and a uh, kumoi and he comes through. They're outside. It's dark. They're out there guarding um, the that mob boss that was in his own little cell, basically, trying to because he's supposed to be next. So he's super paranoid. Kamoi yeah. comes through, and tell me about he, somehow he real. He's like, oh, oh shit! I think there's something on my back. <laughs> it's just a piece <laughs> of paper. I was like, wait a minute, did someone put it on just now? Or did you just all of a sudden feel that there was paper on your back? I'm so confused. I was like, wait, what's happening? Either way, the assassins are too stupid to even realize, like, what the fuck. You know, like, they're so easy to trick, (laughs) all of them. So, Except for one. Yeah, yeah, definitely, except for one. (laughs) So then Knife knife reads the letter, and the message is apparently notifying him of Joe, you know, it's from the Joe Spades. It's telling him that they have Asian Deezen. At the Five Rays Hotel, and they're going to kill his ass, so you better go and you better get him. So he heads out right away to go. And he's super, like, he's super loyal. He's like, no, that's my brother. I'm going to go save him. So he heads out. Poetry guy is in there with the boss inside the cell sleeping. And he's, like, reading poetry out loud. I would have told his ass to shut the fuck up. I'm trying to sleep, bro. Why the fuck are you reading poetry out loud? But he's walking back and forth. Yeah. He hears a gunshot go off, so he runs out thinking that Knife is in trouble because he doesn't know that Knife left. Kamoy uh, right away waltzes right into the house as soon as Poetry Guy leaves the house to look for Knife. But then when Knife can't find him, he then sees Emi, and she's there at the house, and she tells Poetry Guy about uh, Asian Deezen, about him being kidnapped. Out of nowhere, Kamoy comes out of the house... And he tells Poetry Guy that Boss Sakurada, that's the name of that boss, by the way, Sakurada. I didn't have it written anywhere else, that Sakurada had been shot. And I'm sorry, man, but I would have been a little suspicious if I'm like, wait a minute, Kamoi, you weren't in there before, and now you're coming out here telling me that this bot was dead? Like, dude, <laughs> there's some suspicious shit going on here. But at the time, it's too much going on. Sakurada's dead. And poetry guy starts like praying to the gods or something. <laughs> he gets very emotional over the whole thing. <laughs> it's really weird. Uh, creepsicle man, and the I love calling this guy creepsicle man. By the way, <laughs> it sounds like a really lame superhero. <laughs> yeah. Creepsicle man, and uh, him and the brothers come in and they hold up knife and baseball. And then luckily, Poetry Guy comes through and he saves them. Like, he shoots one bullet out of a fucking book, and there's like four of them, and they run. I'm like, what? The- you had the upper hand. There's three of them. That was so stupid. Anyway, so Kamoy yells at the assassins. He's like, I'm the only one left, you dumb sons of bitches. Like, he's like, y'all are all fired. He's like, I'll protect myself. And he still pays them at least. I'm like, damn, I don't think that's the way it works with assassins. I think that- I think you don't pay them until they catch the person you hired them for. <laughs> But he pays him anyway. 
uh, Joe comes through, and all of a sudden he's looking sharp. He has not looked like this throughout the whole movie. This guy's looking 007 sexy as shit. He's in a full-blown suit. He's almost Miami Vice-esque, and he's not even, like, 1980 yet. And he hands a uh, <laughs> he hands a letter to Kamoy. He's like, oh, I, he plays it so cool. He's like, oh, it was downstairs, and this letter came through. This is for you. And the letter says, you are next, you dumb fuck. Uh, <laughs> wait at pier number three from the real Joe. So now he's freaking the fuck out. Oh, and there's an ace card in there, the uh, card of aces. And, he, and then he rehires the assassins. He's like, I need you to protect me now. I don't know what's going on. This wasn't my plan. So this is some extra shit happening. Because <laughs> obviously Kaboy <laughs> yeah. is in on all this shit. He's doing all this. He's doing all the damage. He's killing all the bosses. Because they show his yeah, boots the, the and guy, shoes. Yeah, the, the guy with the with a one white eye, one normal eye, turns out is the corrupt one. Yeah, he's the one that's out there uh, knocking them <laughs> out. He's technically trying to... He created this Joe of Spades to to distract everybody, but he is technically the Joe of Spades. Uh, at least he's pretending to be. So then we um, we find out, especially now it's confirmed because K- Kamoy he's in, he, he calls the mob boss from the rival gang, and he's like, "I made a deal with you to kill all four of the bosses, and that would mean I could run this whole city." And the all the rival this would have made me nervous too. This is some like soprano shit. All the rival boss responses mm-hmm. like. Just go to that meeting spot. I'm like, okay, that that doesn't sound that does not sound good to me. Doesn't give him any other information. Doesn't say he's going to protect him. That's it. He's like, just go to that meeting spot. So then the guys prepare for the meetup, and poetry guy mentions like, look, I don't want to bother saving Asian Deason. Like, look, this is part of our job. This is the way it is. It's cutthroat. He's probably dead anyway. But then Joe, looking cool as fuck. He's like, I don't know. I got a feeling he's still alive. And uh, we cut to Agent Deezid. He's playing some board. I'm not sure what this game is. I don't know. Maybe you know the board game they're playing. Kind of looks like a little bit like dice, mm-hmm. but not quite. It's different. They have little little uh, pieces. But anyway, he's playing with that new guy. Oh, I can't remember mm-hmm. his name. But he's uh, he's that new guy. Oh, yeah, that. In, in a jail cell Yeah, part. And they're, they're playing in... Um, there's like a little dog there too. That's super cute. <laughs> it's like a dope ass dog there. And then the the one of the leaders, one of the his superiors, comes through and he tells the new guy, "Hey, go ahead and take care of take care of Agent Deason. We don't need him." So he comes down and he tells Agent Deason, "They've instructed me to kill your ass." He's like, "No, don't do it." He's like, points the gun, and, and Agent Deason's super freaking out, but he ends up shooting the lock of the cell. And he's like, no, I'm just trying to let you out. I was actually hired by Joe to let you out of here. And he's like, wait a minute. So you're working for him, and Joe is my apprentice, so I'm technically your boss. He's like, how about 10 yen for celebration? <laughs> like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> so stupid. So then we cut to all the guys. So now, you know, Agent D's is free. He's going, he's, he's heading out. He's in the middle of trying to get over there. And we cut to all the guys in Kamoy at the rendezvous spot uh, uh, there at the, the dock or the port or whatever. And they're looking around for Joe, but the cool guy Joe says, oh, Joe's already here. And he tells Kamoy, the, the pup- uh, white pupil guy, to confess about the four partners he killed while he was pretending to be Joe of Spades. He, of course, denies it at first. He's asking for proof. And then Joe says... 
You go. You, he's like, you got the five of spades. Yet you're the lowest rank. And Joe tells him that felt bizarre to me. So I had he had someone named Kanta. I don't even know who that is. I guess they're in the movies at some point. That's the ninja guy, the 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 skies guy. So I had him investigate what was going on, and then poetry guy finally realized, oh dude, you totally killed Sakurada. Like that's why you were there. Blah blah blah. And then Knife tells him, you have no code of honor. And I really like this little scene because uh, Kumoi laughs at that notion. Like it, it's he has like super rotten looking teeth. It's just so perfect. Like he looks creepy as shit. <laughs> Um, and he admits that he did kill the four partners and that it was them that had no honor. He says they stole – the way they came into power is they stole goods from an army base um, when then they came into Kill Town to run it. And the town is governed by them, but all he got was a, pe- a pachinko parlor, which I guess isn't much, um, because his army rank was lower than their ranks. So they treated him more like a servant or like help. You know, they – just a peon basically so that's why he had so much resentment against them and that's why he was willing to basically backstab them by working for the the rival gang or the rival uh, mob hmm. so then Kamoy asks uh, he's like so who who are you anyway like who the fuck are you like he's talking to Joe and Joe says I'm actually Jotaro Sudo and Kamoy's like dude that's impossible I made up that fucking story Sudo's kid is actually a girl and they kind of do this like classic thing where you're both laughing and then it's like you try to shoot each other so he tries to shoot him but Joe's able to shoot this gun out of his hand and Kamoi tries to shoot um, no after that no yeah he shoots a gun out of his hand and then he tells then Joe says like I think poetry guy says so then who the fuck are you dude like for real he's like I am the Joe of spades and for a second all the assassins are trying to gonna try to kill him but he's <laughs> able to distract him and he's like hey like there's there's people coming we need to go they spread out and good old Kamoy, you know, he goes running toward the boss and he's like, Hey, like they have me over here. Help me. And they fucking shoot his ass dead. And he's like, why would you do this? He tells the boss and the boss is like, you were supposed to die. You're useless. Damn. Yeah. I always forget that part. Cause like a, a thing with like the sillier ones like this, the, like the last 10 minutes or so it kind of like this shit hits the fans like oh there are consequences yeah now. like yeah she got serious <laughs> like around the end Every, things get a little more dramatic there are some there are some fun like it still tries to weave in the silliness but it does get a little more serious here uh, yeah they shoot his ass dead uh, poetry guy says that they might be killers but they are not villains we're gonna join so they decide to join Joe Joe's side, and they decide to fight the rival bosses gang. So they this whole gunfight ensues. I really like. Did you notice that one guy that keeps like flipping a barrel above himself for no reason? I'm like, bro, just get shot. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> Why are you grabbing onto a barrel? <laughs> it's so weird. I guess they're just trying to show some extra action. I don't know. And they take care of all of them pretty damn quick. Uh, Joe kills the mob boss before he can flee. And then Amy, she sees this because she arrives right at the same time and she sees her father dying and she goes up to him and she she realizes that Joe was the one that killed him and that he is the Joe of Spades. And she walks up to him. She grabs the gun of her father. And this looks like it's going to get really intense. Like she looks like she might shoot his ass. She looks like like she has it perfectly straight, just cocked, ready to fucking shoot him. (laughs) 
And he throws, Joe throws his gun down. He says, look, I don't shoot, because he's so cool. He's like, look, I don't shoot women. If you want to avenge your father, shoot me. I'm okay with that. And I, I guess he played it so cool. She just throws the gun down and starts crying and shit. <laughs> I'm like, of course. Of course. That's what they do. So then it's really funny because then Joe tells the assassins, like, y'all need to leave town because the police are coming. And I think it's baseball guy. He goes, boy, that's the first time the police have shown up in this movie. <laughs> they <laughs> oh, like, yeah. break the fourth wall. I was, like, kind of shocked. I was like, holy shit. And uh, then Asian Deason comes through with the dude. Finally, he gets there. I like the way the timing actually works. Like, it would take time for him to get there. In movies now, he would have just showed up. But he gets there with the with the that guy that helped him get out, and he's tripping out on all the carnage. And Joe says, "Look, I took care of it in your absence." And of course, Asian Deason says, "Oh, you are improve- you're improving as my apprentice. You're doing a pretty good job." <laughs> and Joe nicely gives him money as a parting gift, and he goes ahead and decides to take responsibility for everything, which is like insane. He's just like, "You could have gotten away too. I mean, <laughs> you had time." But he decides to take responsibility for it, and he has, like, a little moment with Emi because they're, like, in love and stuff. I don't know. But not much happens from there. We uh, we then cut to all the assassins on a train. This is a really weird scene. Almost almost feels added. <laughs> I don't even know. It's really <laughs> weird. They're, like, all on a train, and they're kind of reminiscing about the recent events, and they're talking about it. And little Capone is like, someday I'll tell this story, too. That's not how he sounds. He sounds like this. He's like, he's like, someday I'll. Th-. He's like, someday I'm gonna tell my grandson this story. So that's when I found, that's when I realized, bro, that he's he's a little kid. Uh-huh. I th- I really did think he was like an older adult that just was like had Benjamin Button or like he was like, you know, to me I thought he was a tiny guy, but no, he actually is a little kid. So he's like, one day I'll tell my grandson this story, and then Asian Deason reads the letter with the cash, and it's apparently it's enough. Joe gave him enough money to finally open up his drugstore. Very nice. Then the train conductor comes through, who, by the way, is the same motherfucker that was playing all those Joes earlier. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's like, of course, of course, they work him back in. And he says, thank you for traveling with us. And then Knife asks, uh, when is the next stop? And he answers, the next stop is jail. And then all the guys are like, oh, wait, what the fuck? Wait, I'm so confused because there's people on the train that obviously don't look like they're going to be – they're criminals. <laughs> so I was like, what the fuck? And the movie just ends. So we didn't, I didn't have time to to figure out what was going on. But that's the way the movie ends, y'all. It's it's a fucking trip. But Yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun joke, but also it plays into like uh, – I wonder like if they had to skip stuff because they had 25 days to shoot everything because the, the part of the – the system was uh it didn't matter there was not time for reshoots what what you got and what you got yeah and the studio would not give you any more time it was if it's not done in 25 days they will figure out a way to make it work you're right because it does kind of feel like they were just working with what they had and edited it you know appropriately to make the story kind of flow because i feel like that ending um the scene before the train I feel like that was supposed to be the ending, and they maybe could have done a little bit more there. Um, the cops are starting to show up. It looks like more is about to happen, but then we just cut to them in a train. I don't know if, like, I mean, you could even, like, make it seem like maybe they all ended up dying, and now they're in the train, and they're, like, 
on a train. I don't know. I, maybe I'm thinking too deep about it. I'm not even high or nothing. I don't know what the hell's going on with me. What's wrong with my brain? <laughs> but it's just very weird how, like, all of a sudden they're in a train. Why are they all in a train together? They're all from different places. So it's all very weird, <laughs> the ending. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. That's why I was like, maybe they're, like, in a weird limbo. Like, they actually all died. I don't Man, I might be looking too much into it. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 well, yes and no. It, it it possibly, but also it's just a fun, silly movie. It's just like another dumb gag to end the movie yeah, on. Yeah, and I think that's really what it is. I mean, for God's sakes, they, the fact that that, that uh, baseball is like, oh, yeah, that's like, yeah, this is the first time the cops have been in this movie. Like, <laughs> I was like, when I saw that, I was like, oh, shit, this is the kind of movie it is. It's so good. Um, so as you know... I like to do. Uh, a, a, I like to kind of honor the movies that I that I watch with a quick impression, and this is a segment I like to call "Quick Impressions." Quick impressions. Are y'all serious? I don't know Japanese. I can't do a quick impression. <laughs> There's no quick impression for this episode. I first of all, if I tried to do it, it would just sound racist. So I can't. I, can't. Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of wondering. I was like, I wonder what Spencer thinks I'm going to do. He's like, wait, what is Daniel going to do? Yeah, I was wondering <laughs> what you're going to do. <laughs> I was originally going to try to learn. So in that scene where um, poetry guy shoots the sailor and he sends him off, he does like this little song uh, as he heads out. I was going to try to learn that, and I didn't have enough time to like memorize it. So. I was like, I got no quick impression. Do you have one, Spencer? <laughs> no, I don't know. I know uh, two Japanese words. Uh, yoparai, uh, y- yoparai, which means fucked up, and opai, which means titties. Because in college, I had a friend who was Japanese who liked to drink. <laughs> Wait, ohai is titties? Opai. Opai. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Opai. Oh, pie, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he was a fun guy, although I kind of worry about him now because he, because of how much he drank. I hope it's under control because back then it was fun, but now thinking back on it's like oh. That was kind of problematic. Oh yeah, I know. I think about that a lot with some friends growing up. I'm like, man, they, I hope they're okay now. Like, holy shit, that's what I think. I didn't drink that much in my twenties. Now is what I'm drinking, but I, I really do try to not drink too much um, because I'm getting older. You know, my body is slowly falling apart, y'all. I tried playing basketball. Was it yesterday during lunch? And I, I thought I was gonna die, dude. Like, I played play for like 35 huh. minutes. Like, I was. I, I could feel like my body, I could feel like my soul leaving my body, dude. Like I'm slowly getting, <laughs> I'm 36 years old, but I'm feeling it, man. Um, so as you know, I like to rate these movies by my favorite mustaches. Uh, really damn good. Fully re- full recommendation is the full Fu Manchu recommendation. Pretty damn good is the walrus mustache recommendation. And not too bad is the horseshoe mustache. And burn this movie in hell is the toothbrush mustache. What would you rate this movie, Spencer? Uh, between, uh, I, I'd say upper walrus. Okay, okay, yeah, we do do upper walruses, upper walrus. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
because like th- th- there are there are like some uh, like narrative stuff with this movie, and uh, it, you can tell it's it feels kind of complete. But with all that said, it's super fun, and uh, it's just like it, it's dessert. You know, you never have to really think think too much. It's just like watch Joe Shido be the coolest guy in the room, and watch a bunch of like Adam West Batman gags going on. Definitely, I completely agree. I was thinking the exact same thing. I would totally give it an upper walrus mustache. Doesn't quite make the full Fu Manchu cut, but it doesn't mean that you should ignore this movie. I think it's so much fun. I think it'd be a good movie to watch with some friends. Because um, I had a good time watching it by myself, but I think it would be more fun mm-hmm. uh, if you have a couple of friends over, y'all having a couple of drinks, and you just get a good laugh out of all these like hijinks and all the different shit that happens. The feel of the movie. Yeah. It's an easy watch. It goes by pretty quick. Um, this is the first, I'm pretty sure, this is the first foreign film on the podcastio. Mm-hmm. And I realized way harder to take notes for a, for a movie like this because I literally can't look away at the screen so I had to keep pausing it to take notes <laughs> which was different because I'm a really good I'm a pretty decent typer mm-hmm. but if I can't see what they're if I don't know what the fuck they're saying that is like impossible so it was a lot of like pausing and then seeing what lines they're saying and stuff like that so you, you brought me a good challenge yeah. Spencer but I appreciate it oh, <laughs> oh well you're welcome but uh <laughs> so are there any other uh, Joe Shishido movies that you would recommend? Uh, yeah. Uh, the most famous one, Branded to Kill, it's the one with the, the um, rice um, cooker boiling boner rice thing. Boners. Yeah, <laughs> rice, rice boners. boners. <laughs> and the fir- first half is like a, a weird existential hitman movie. And then the second half is just like this like very anime uh, uh like story about two assassins, and if you watch it or have seen it, you know what I mean when I say it's very anime. Um, direct Detective Bureau Two Three Go to Hell Bastards, because he is he get he goes undercover as a detective, and there's a part where he has to uh, improvise a song and dance number uh, to stay undercover. <laughs> the fuck? Okay. And it's <laughs> it's amazing. Oh man, that sounds interesting as shit. Uh, what else? Um, oh, my favorite, uh, Gate of Flesh. It's a very upsetting, depressing World War Two movie from the uh, '64. Uh, so he did it like right before he did um, Murder Incorporated. It's basically what if a Tennessee Williams play, but like set in a uh, like. It's Tennessee Williams mixed with the Golden Girls, but the Golden Girls are women who choose to be prostitutes during uh, occupation era Japan, and uh, <laughs> Joshua Shido uh, has to stay at, stay with them, and they have certain rules like you don't fuck men who don't pay you, but Joshua Shido is like hunky and hot, and he upsets the balance of the four women, and things change. It's it's a very upsetting movie but I love it so much what's the name of that one uh, Gate of Flesh oh, okay I see it. 1964 Gate <sighs> of Flesh holy shit yeah I'm yeah. gonna check that one out damn that looks insane cool yeah. man dude I definitely y'all check those out I'm gonna be checking out some more Joe Shishido I thought he was awesome in this movie he definitely 
you could see how his charisma, his energy, he just takes over scenes. And he's not even in a – he is in small portions of this movie. You know, he's not in every single scene. He's in a few here and there, and he, he does a great job of keeping you uh, interested throughout this movie because he's so good, man. Um, so, Spencer, do you have any plugs for this show? Do you have any, anything coming up? Do you have any way uh, – what are some ways that listeners can uh, learn about your show? Uh, yes. Um, I have uh, my own show, Shoot a Piano Player, a French New Wave podcast. Uh, my, me and my uh, friend Joel, we talk about French New Wave movies, compare it with an Italian movie from the same year or around the same time. And we do random special episodes on anything I can loosely connect to uh, Italy or French cinema. And um, so we, we just did one on the uh, Sumbin movie. Ahala or Chala. I'm not sure how to say it. It's a great uh, African movie from Senegal. Uh, uh, look for that movie. It's definitely worth tracking down. And Daniel, if you're curious, I can, I can send you a uh, um, a copy of it if you're curious. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would love to check it out. And um, I was on the, on the projection booth for the month of August talking about all African movies because the host invited me to do a, a theme month and uh, so we kind of chose African films because that's a passion of mine so uh, there's the whole month of August uh, of me is talking about African movies on one of my favorite podcasts and uh, there have been other shows Movies from Hell, Grumpire Grindbin a few times yeah, you you can be found on the grind bin. I know you've been on a few episodes there as well. So we need to be on. We need to get me and you on an episode. That would be um, so much fun. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I would say I'm a little more unruly on, on the grind bin for funsies. <laughs> a little, a little. I get a little <laughs> bit more. You know, you drink a little bit more whiskey or a little bit more rum, and we have a good time on there. But, um, but yeah. And uh, what are your? Uh, what's your Instagram and Twitter? Uh, I'd, uh, 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 oh no insta just twitter uh piano player pod and um we are on uh, podbean uh spotify google amazon uh everywhere but apple because for some reason i have issues with uh trying to get like certified with apple yeah yeah i feel you i feel you um, yeah, is, uh, I don't have too many plugs for the show. I will be on the grind bin coming up. I'm, I'm pretty sure by the time this releases, I that episode would have either released or is about to release. So be looking out for me on the grind bin. Um, hoping to jump on another Bloody Bits very soon. And also, I will be on uh, the Kendra Cup, uh, K- Kendra Crump show. <laughs> I don't know, I, that, <laughs> those words didn't want to come out of my mouth. The Kendra Crump Show, and I'll put a link in the in the notes, in the show notes, so you can take a look at her show. She's super funny, um, comedian from Atlanta, and she allows me to get on her show every now and then, and we have a damn good time just covering all these different topics with a whole bunch of different guests. It's like a whole panel of people, and we cover all kinds of topics, so definitely check that out. And she's been on the show herself as well, so uh, some of y'all may already be familiar with her. But anyway, man, thanks so much, Spencer, for joining the show once again. I can't You're wait welcome. to have you back. Okay. Uh, I want to give a quick warning about Gate of Flesh. 
Yeah, dude. <laughs> uh, there is a scene where Joe Shishido slaughters a cow, but it's done in quick cuts, but he really did slaughter a cow in real life. So uh, just just kind of know that going in, that you will see animal slaughter on screen. It's handled as well as you can, but yeah, it's still, it, it, it's a little much. All right, thanks for the heads up. Thanks <laughs> to the all listeners as well. Uh, just keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely the weirdest ending that I've had in a show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Y'all have a good one. I'll check y'all later. Bye.